From New Orleans, welcome to Questions from the Waiting Room, a show that makes uncomfortable concepts easy to talk about. Dr. Nick Pajic, a practicing psychiatrist, will be your host and your guide as we dive deep into the human experience. I'm Dr. Nick Pajic. This is our first session. Uh, we're here on Antonine Street in Uptown New Orleans. And uh, so, David, uh, what do you have to say for yourself? Yeah, um, well, I was actually wondering if I could ask you a personal question, maybe to start some things off. Absolutely. Go ask away. Um, if you had to choose kind of your biggest regret in the last, just call it five years. We don't want to do the whole life because I can get messy, but mm-hmm. just the biggest regret in the last five years, does one come to mind? Oh, boy. You know, I renovated my office uh, this last couple years, and I was pretty irritable at home, and I'd get in some pretty, uh, you know, bad arguments with my wife. I think, uh, given the circumstance, like, you know, I understand it looking back on it, but um, that's one of the things uh, I probably regret. Uh, however, it's, you know, water under the bridge, you know, and it's all, all worked out. Still married, thank God. Yeah. Um, but renovations will do, do that to you. Um, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or the last five years. <laughs> What's your uh, biggest regret? Well, four of those years were college. So there's a lot of possibly smaller ones. Um, probably more of a personal big regret would be um, going into college with a girlfriend. It was fine. But looking back, it would be better if I hadn't. So basically, she she screwed up your hookup potential and yeah, you, you know making new friends like that. and all that stuff. So how long did you guys last until you? Uh... Till about November. Really? Yeah. yeah, and then I so ended there. a whole three months. A whole three months of <laughs> being tied down. <laughs> being tied down. Ruined hey, everything. Life's hard, man. <laughs> it is. It's just you know sometimes you gotta just suck it up and wait three months and break up with your girlfriend right in time. Right in time for the uh, holidays yeah right before thanksgiving right Mm -hmm. which was you know looking back another regret i should have waited till after thanksgiving because then the dry spell just continued (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't think we've talked in about a week anything new going on with you uh yeah so um here at the office we've been pretty busy seeing new patients and uh one thing i like to do is kind of keep fresh and uh grow as a person so uh, a few weeks back i started taking a couple hour lunch to go running um and so i'm going running on st charles avenue uh between you know noon and two um and uh and you know coming back to the the shower showering up throwing on the suit again and kind of with wet hair uh you know sometimes i have blow dry my hair uh yeah before coming it looks here. like it yeah thank you yeah. <laughs> You know, kind of feel silly doing it and uh, scarf down some, you know, some uh, sushi and then uh, head back into the office to see patients for the second half of the day. Um, and uh, lately I've been, you know, training to become an executive coach. So that's part of like the, another thing that I'm adding to the repertoire to help people with, yeah. um, which is different than being a therapist. So um, reading a lot of books on that and I do some uh, online meetings with uh, coaches up in Boston. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so other than that, then, it's just kind of taking care of people and making sure that um, everyone's getting kind of serviced. And um, I had a patient who just came back from rehab uh, as well that 
um, he was a really nice guy, very, very smart person. And we had a hard time uh, getting him to uh, go to rehab after many, many months of working with him. So I was really pleased to see him all bright and shiny and new and um, in better psychological state. And uh, there's always kind of a hesitation before seeing people come back from that type of thing because you don't know whether they're they're a changed person and they grew or if, like they just went and kind of listened and you know were sober for a time but aren't really committed to their uh, sobriety. Right. So I know there's a lot of kind of worry for people like that. Um, and I just suspense too. Yeah, yeah, because you never know, because and the stakes are really high, especially for the more successful somebody is. So, David, um, what what are this week's questions from the waiting room? Yeah, so the first one, I've been having these mood swings lately. Like some days I'll wake up and I'll be in a really good mood, and then other days, you know, nothing's changed in my life, but I'll just feel terrible and really hate the world. Um, do you have any idea why this would be the case? Oh uh, yeah. That's a good question in that um, I think a lot of people have ups and downs in their moods and it's kind of normal to have that, right? Um, but sometimes uh, there, are, uh, there are either medications or substances that someone's taking that can cause them to have kind of mood swings like that that aren't like so drastic per se, um, but just are kind of uh, causing one to feel like bad. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I look for is caffeine and alcohol in my patients. Um, normally caffeine, one to two cups of coffee a day, you know, that can be overly stimulating, stimulating for some people. Um, but for most people, they could probably handle that. Um, uh, the second thing then is alcohol is, you know, if you're drinking more than two or three ounces of alcohol a day, um, that, that can really throw you off and affect your sleep. Um, same thing with stimulants like caffeine, where if you're not sleeping well at night, uh, then you can feel grouchy the next day, of course. Um, also, kind of that those mood swings, when people mean or say mood swings, they really mean it's like an idiom of a distress for anxiety, like yeah. an irritability. Um, sometimes it actually means sad, like someone's feeling sad, but then they feel normal. So it's not like bipolar disorder where you feel really depressed and then manic, you know, the opposite of depressed, but they feel... Um, they just go from feeling a little bit sad to feeling normal and they bounce back and forth between between that i know the monday morning effect you know when people go to work yeah or sunday you know sunday night when people kind of nervous before work um sometimes that can convey generalized anxiety disorder where people just have that chronic you know low grade or mild to moderate anxiety um, where they haven't presented to a doctor's office about it but they still feel pretty um you know, crappy all, all the time. Right. And the reason why they're fluctuating and their moods are swinging from day to day is that, you know, by Thursday and Friday when people are like, you know, easing up for the, and waiting for the weekend to come, they, um, they feel a bit better, you know. So those are some that come up, my thoughts on, on mood swings. Um, and beyond that is just, you know, if I saw a patient, I would want to screen them for um, a slew of psychiatric disorders that they may be suffering from, um, whether it be depression or, or actual bipolar disorder. So that's some of the stuff I think about. Yeah. Do you have any ideas if, you know, I'm waking up Monday morning and just kind of in a terrible mood because I know I have a, you know, 50-hour work week ahead of me. But, you know, it's all kind of like how I see it. So do you have any kind of suggestions of the way I kind of perceive that week ahead that could change my mindset and mood in general? Um, 
That's a that's a really good question. So like if you have all that work ahead of you, how do you go about it? Yeah. Um, one, I think, is preparation for the week. So sometimes I have my patients take a little medication the night before, like maybe a little Benadryl or um, you know prescription medication to help get really good sleep on that Sunday night. Okay. So Monday morning they feel less anxious. So there's medication answer for that. Um, the perspective taking part of it, I would say, would just be to wake up and have a really good routine. You know, give yourself enough time to get to work. Um, you know, to prepare. Um, sometimes having things prepared on Sunday can help you better Monday get going. Mm-hmm. Psychologically, I would say just to bang out what hour for hour. And so when I come to work on Monday morning, you know, I get here around um, between uh, eight and uh, eight thirty probably, and start seeing patients. And I'll have a full day of work, you know, until six p.m. But I never think about you know any of those those patients coming in later in the day. I just try to be present with each patient one by one, one by one, and think about their problems and like just being really, you know, do my best there um, and being present with them. It's oh. kind of like trusting yourself that you'll be just as present later. So if you're always present and kind of in the moment, then and not thinking too much far ahead and. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this idea of workflow for people, like you know, or multitasking. You know, people think like multitasking is a way to do to live and to be and to be. You know, it's like a, a buzzword, or at least it used to be. And I just see it as like being interrupted and not allowing yourself to have good engagement and good flow in your work mm-hmm. to really get things done. And you know, I, I have patients who want to be great. You know, they want to, you know really um, shoot for the stars in terms of business and success and stuff. And I tell them that greatness comes from doing the really small things uh, really well. And most people gloss over that, you know, but the devil is truly in the details from my perspective. Sure. You mentioned kind of a morning routine. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't really know the science behind this, but do you think you would recommend getting that extra, you know, 30 minutes of sleep or waking up? 30 minutes early and getting down that morning routine, Pat. So let's say you're, yeah. you know, meditating for 15 minutes instead of sleeping another 15 minutes. So we each have a set point in our biological rhythms to either sleep in a little bit more or to stay up a little bit more late or stay up later. Mm-hmm. So I think one needs to know their set point. For me, I'm a night owl and I, mornings are not my best time. Yeah. Um, so I need, I require a little bit more sleep. In fact, I like, you know, well, I just require more. So for people that are morning people and they can wake up, I think meditation is excellent or exercise. I like to exercise middle of the, uh, the day. And, and then at night I, you know, practice guitar and I do a lot, a lot of reading and sometimes watch TV. So I don't know, are you a morning person or are you? No, I'm not. I mean, I'll wake up and just have a lot of kind of brain fog. Um, mm-hmm. It'll take me, you know, 30, 45 minutes to jump out of bed, not jump all. It's all that pot and Sazerac. It's that all that using. pot. Yeah, it's <laughs> killing me. <laughs> no, but you're saying in the morning you're a little bit more brain foggy. Yeah, I'll not. just wake up, you know, regular night. I'll, I'll have had a good dinner, even like a, you know, a protein shake before I go to bed and then still wake up just real, real out of it. You know, I'll like grab my phone, kind of like put the light right into my eye so it shocks me awake. Mm-hmm. Um and then I'll just lie there for like 45 minutes, just kind of reading stuff on my phone. And well, then finally I'll be like, I think it's time to that brush my me teeth. To another issue is I think people, generally speaking, do not get enough sleep. Yeah, that's for sure. You, you know what I mean? Like in, in like the, 
the normal amount of sleep is probably be between six to like nine hours of sleep a night. You know, people have different set points, right? Yeah. So like I have patients who are like, well, I'm sleeping, you know, seven hours a night, but they really, that extra eight hours does it for them, mm-hmm. especially if they have a, you know, depression or anxiety, they, they feel their symptoms more if they don't sleep. And then there's other people who ride a little higher and like we call hyperthymic where they require less sleep and they have higher energy and stuff. Now their set point may be differently. So, um, you know, you, we were talking about how much you're working lately um, yeah. at Willie Jeans. Uh, and if you're not sleeping enough, like say you're shaved, you're getting like six and a half hours or six hours a night, your brain fog might just be normal fatigue where you, you need to pay your sleep debt to yeah, really get back to normal. Sleep you know? more. Sure. Now, do you want a prescription for Ambien? Is that what you're That'd be great, me? yeah. Okay. If you could just set me up on, you know, under the table. Yeah. Sorry, do you, fine. I think there's a conflict of interest since we do this show together. There might be. Yeah. yeah. All right, what's the next question you got? Yeah, so the second question from the waiting room. I don't know why, but I sometimes get pleasure out of seeing all my friends fail. I hate this about myself. Is there a way I can stop thinking like this? Ah, very interesting. Very interesting question. When they studied happiness... Um, People who got like raises at work, if they knew that somebody else got a raise uh, and was making just a little bit more money than from them, they would actually feel worse than you know the happiness that the their own raise should have produced, right? Yeah. And um, the, I think the reasons for that is because we think in kind of a hierarchical manner. And I think like socioeconomically, people that are on the higher rungs of socioeconomic you know, status um, tend to have less stress. And when they study like stress and like monkeys and stuff, uh, there's like a dominant monkey and then all the other monkeys um, and, you know, kind of a hierarchy uh, to that. And so um, sometimes, you know, in, the, in this question, she's asking, they get, you know, she gets pleasure out of seeing my friends fail, of course, because then you become more dominant and you're kind of, you're, you're on top. Now, that's one kind of socio uh, way of looking at it. Right. The, the person could also, you know, be a really competitive and come from a competitive family and so, somehow they feel a bit better when, the, when their friends aren't kind of making it because it's like the Joneses thing, mm-hmm. you know, doing better, better than the Joneses. There's also like, sociopaths out there who just enjoy watching people squirm and blaming other people for their weaknesses and such right um, but she says she hates this about herself so she's probably yeah, not a sociopath that's more an extreme right and um is there a way to stop thinking about this or like this um yeah i think the answer to that would be to perspective take and to say that you know the world's a big place and you know your best friend beth can have her success and there's enough room for you in the world to compete with Beth, but also to have like both of your needs met and both be successful. And that sometimes it may feel like that you don't have a pathway to success and you feel bad or if you're down on yourself about something, but it just means you have to double down and work harder or maybe take, take some tips from your friend Beth and you know, to where she earned her success from uh, in a sense. Do you think you could look at, look at it kind of from an evolutionary point of view? and look back in time and think about it like you know if you're succeeding in in your endeavors then you're surviving um and sometimes at least you know way back in the caveman days if you're succeeding chances are maybe you know the next group over isn't succeeding because you're competing for the same resources do you think that has any influence at all 
Uh, well, that may be above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, but also I think biologically, I think more of like a biological, uh, like, you know, evolutionary bio biologist would right, say, right. where, um, you, you know, the genes that end up living are the ones that procreate and have more um, genes that pass, pass or pass down. Mm -hmm. So if you're somebody who is competing for resources, um, just staying alive doesn't can, doesn't ensure that you're going to have progeny yeah. to pass down your genes. For example, I got married when I was 36, right? And I waited a long time. You, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I was reasonably successful and stuff like that. But I st and I still don't have kids now. Right. You know, one day I would like kids, but um, so it, it doesn't really convey that my genes are going to survive necessarily right. in this day and age. Um, I think things that um, lead more to your genes, you know, moving forward or, or um, being passed down is finding a mate that you're compatible with um, and having a signs of success to attract somebody mm -hmm. um, to you. So for men, I think if you can provide security for a woman, um, not to sound sexist, but I think that's like biologically a, a, right. a button pushing mechanism where, you know, this is why you see really, you know, odd couple sometimes, you know, where you'll have a guy who is successful but isn't the best looking guy or mm -hmm. uh, the snazzi snazziest in some way, but he can really provide for his family. And that's, you know, protective to the family system. And Yeah. Well, you uh, kind of look at that, that guy and then you look at the girl and you think there's hope for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I think there's still hope for you, David. I think that if wow, you, thanks. if you just yeah. embrace the, um, uh, my new book, where now? <laughs> <laughs> Just came There's, out in Barnes and Nobles right. today. There's no new book, or Barnes and Nobles, I think. But you could probably search for a date in Barnes and Noble through the book stacks and creep some people out. Is that how you found your wife? No, we met in line. Um, so I, I'm a I'm a oh. strong proponent of dating online. I think yeah. it's a really cool thing. Definitely. So you're a millennial. I'm yeah. a Gen Xer. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about this. In the world of the millennials, what is is online dating cool? Is it kind of do you, is it talked about? Is it just accepted and it, it is like what is that like? Yeah, I think in the last two or three years, ever since Tinder became a huge thing, before that, someone would be like, "I'm online looking for a mate or something," and you'd think to yourself, "Oh, that's kind of weird. Like, why do they do need people that? say that? Do you, I'm looking for a mate online? No, no <laughs> one has ever said that. No, I don't know why I said it like that, but." <laughs> But yeah, so I think when Tinder came around and kind of revolutionized like the, the pace of online dating where you're just swiping, um, it became a lot more mainstream. Mm. And, it, and I, th I mean, in my opinion, it makes perfect sense. You know, it's a way of kind of streamlining. Um, a really important part of our lives. An important part of your lives. And the fact that like you have your features and kind of what you want in another person. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to find that out anyway in person, mm -hmm. but it just you know makes the pace faster so do you think that it's a net benefit having that rather than like the the spontaneity of meeting somebody out of the bar yeah because like, i don't think so know. far it's taken away from you know people just meeting in person yeah. um, i think there's a like concern about that and people that will say online dating is ridiculous that'll be their main argument that you know why can't you just go out and meet that person well mm -hmm. i mean some people can't some people have really busy lives some people get anxious about it and this is a way for 
those people that have a barrier for the, the in-person meetups um, to still meet people. Well, I met my wife on OkCupid and, uh, in a, and actually had a patient at the time who inadvertently turned me on to OkCupid because he was really suicidally depressed and I felt for the gentleman. Um, and uh, he's, he's uh, still alive and, um, you know, I never felt like he really, uh, we, we, we weren't able to fix his depression problem all the way hmm. uh, nearly. Um, but the one thing that he was still doing was online dating on OkCupid. Kind of and throughout. Yeah, right. Throughout this time that he was really depressed. And I was really inspired by that. Like, wow, this is the biological drive to be with somebody else, you know? Yeah. Like, so I thought, you know, I'm getting older. My hair is getting gray. I spend hours upon hours in my office. I need to go out and start like you know, meeting women. But then there's nothing more creepy than like a kind of middle-aged, uh, graying-haired psychiatrist with some blue sport coat, <laughs> even though it's a nice trim sport coat. I mean, yeah, I've seen you in it. It's sharp. Yeah. <laughs> You know, going to the bar and, and just hitting on girls and like it just went against my nature and also my professional identity. So I said, screw it. I'm going to go do OkCupid. Okay yeah. And of course, the first, uh, you know, week I was on it, uh, I clicked on a thumbnail of a really pretty woman who happened to be my patient, but wow. she never came to her sessions in uh, makeup. She was always kind of in like jammies and stuff mm -hmm. um, without makeup on. So and the thumbnail was too small and I didn't pay for the premium membership so okay. I couldn't tell that who she was and, yeah. and and also she was going to see that I clicked on her her profile so who and she later came and told me you know in session um like I I I brought it up the topic and said hey this this happened you know I feel really embarrassed about it and she was really gracious and nice and she said yeah I've been processing that with my therapist like because she had some issues from her past uh, with men. Mm -hmm. So I felt terrible about it. But um, anyways, I think it ended up being okay overall. Okay, I thought and, you were gonna say that's your wife now. But no, not, no, 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 I'm sorry. Person. No, 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 yeah, sorry. I totally misled you there. You got another question? Yeah, so for the third question. I haven't been able to be satisfied in anything I do recently. Every time I reach a goal, I focus on the next one instead of being content with my success. How do I become more satisfied with myself? Becoming more satisfied with oneself. Well, that's tricky um, in some respects because it depends on uh, the person's psychology overall, their personality. Um, but I think feeling satisfied is uh, feeling like the work you put into something equals the results that you get out of it and having meaning behind your, be your behavior. Mm -hmm. So what satisfies me is you know, doing a good guitar lesson and feeling like I got some something out of that and I learned something like valuable um, by putting hard work into it. I think sometimes people, uh, they may achieve something, but their their motives might be off where there's less meaning behind it. So it doesn't really mean as much. And uh -huh. you, hear, you hear this with talented people who do things because they're smart enough to do it, but it really doesn't have any meaning, a direct meaning back to who to they themselves. are as people, yeah. right? So one way to derive more meaning or satisfaction is to look at the underlying meaning of it and to understand what you value as a person. Uh, I'll give an example of this with um, my dad for a long time used to um, challenge me on the th renovating um, you know, living space and buying curtains and 
um, in the office building here, like making it pretty in the beginning. Why, you know, he'd say things, why are you spending so much money? You know, this, that, and the other. But for me, what was satisfying is that I, I have a kind of an artistic interest um, and really enjoy seeing something come to life. And I like the way a space can make you feel good or not good. Definitely. Or understanding that. So for me, it was a valuable experience and I was very satisfied engaging in like design work and working with an architect. I think there's also something to be said about kind of the process that goes on towards the goal. You know, so a lot of people will just see the end thing in mind and they'll be like, all right, I have to do all this shit. But, you know, once I'm done with it, like I'll be happy. But a lot of times the process can actually be fun, um, like renovating, for example. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure, you know, some of it was frustrating, but then a lot of it was like, I actually I enjoy doing this. This is something you know, I'm passionate yeah. about. Um, and you were seeing it almost like kind of like you said earlier, living in the present is kind of big here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and actually I have a patient who's an architect and I was lamenting the whole process and, you know, this, that and the other. And he smiled and said, you know, it's an adventure. And yeah. remember that it's, a, it's an adventure and to enjoy that part of it. And ever since then, and I have to say this, this is where like patients inspire me. For sure. By the things they say, um, I've looked at it that way and it's totally true, you know. It's like crap's going to happen and uh, you learn from it and you're you're in it. You know what I mean? You're, I, I tell my patients sometimes, you know, live in the snow globe. Be in the yeah. world. Be doing things and sh- challenging yourself and trying new things out and you know and be less of a critic of others doing things you know definitely kind of just like make your life an experiment in a way absolutely let's talk about our psych fact of the day yeah yeah let's do this so uh from the world health organization um the fact of the day is that mental and substance use disorders are the leading cause of disability worldwide you can believe that wow I think we've come to the conclusion of our first show. How do you feel about it yourself, David? I feel pretty good. You know, you could tell it was the first time we were doing this, but that's uh-huh. a good thing, you know, that kind of makes it authentic in a way, rather than if we were like super... Scripted. Yeah, then it would just be, it would just sound weird. And, and having any professionalism whatsoever in this endeavor. And there's no professionalism, yeah. Yeah, or even a psychiatrist. <laughs> right, and it leads me to our happy thought moving forward. So there's a there's an idea that you can... You can't change the be- your beginning, but you can change your ending. Um, but to think about it, anybody out there who's you know anxious or depressed, or just living life, and you're you know not happy with how things have gone, remember like all that stuff's in the past. It's unhelpful thought probably to dwell in it, um, and that uh, to look forward and see what you can do in your life. And if you have trouble doing that, go talk to somebody. Go get a life coach or get into psychotherapy um i highly highly recommend it all right peace out everybody thanks for listening to this session of questions from the waiting room if you have a question or comment for us to discuss on the show then email show at atlaspsychiatry.com if you'd like to learn more about your hosts dr nick pajic or david miller listen to other shows or to consult dr pajic for a mental health issue then visit www.atlaspsychiatry.com Music production is done by McWordna. To hear more of his work, visit the link in the description. Questions from the Waiting Room is committed to destigmatizing mental health issues and providing psychiatric education to our listeners.
Summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees. 